0: Hi, I'm Rocco Impreveduto with Walters Kloor, and we're here today with John Pachkowski to provide five fast facts related to the Families First Coronavirus Response Act and the CARES Act. Uh, this discussion will be part of an ongoing series as we continue to discuss the impact of COVID-19 and what it means to our future. John, we're, we're really happy to have you here with us today. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your role here at Walters Kloor? Sure,
1: Rocco, thanks for inviting me to speak today with you. Uh, I'm a senior writer analyst with Walters Kluwer Legal and Regulatory U.S. I've been with the company for 31 years, and I've been covering, um, tracking, analyzing banking law, mostly on the federal level, uh, and and contribute to such publications as the Federal Banking Law Reporter and the Banking and Finance Law Daily. Um, I've seen... A bunch of crises yeah, i started out working with banking with the snl crisis in the 80s uh the economic crisis in 2007
0: 2008 and then now so
1: just another crisis to, to write about that's
0: all i can say for right now yeah it's clearly uh unprecedented times uh in talking about this you know knowing how substantial it is and and uh, how challenging it's going to be, I think, for all of us to sort of overcome this as we go forward uh, and its impact on the financial services industry overall. Can you give us an update on what you're seeing right now?
1: Sure. Well, first, a little background, I guess, in order, again, what the CARES Act is. The I don't even remember the, the the correct name, but it deals with the coronavirus. And this is one of the three so far pieces of legislation to address the uh COVID-19 pandemic, and this is the $2 trillion response. Uh, it's, it's intended to fi- provide financial assistance for individuals, families, and businesses. Uh, most of the CARES Act seeks to address, again, medical shortages, shortages of key medical supplies and equipment, and also modifies or um, a range of programs and requirements, such as tax treatment for for withdrawals of retirement accounts, business income, and losses. Today, I will focus on what's called Title IV of the Act, the Coronavirus Economic Stabilization Act of, to, of 2020. I'll just keep saying Title IV, the easier way. Uh, Title IV has two basic parts. Uh, one is it provides $46 billion for relief to certain uh, in forms of loans and agreements, basically to the airline industry, passenger airline carriers, aviation repair stations, that and, and other uh, associated industries, and it's basically the uh, Treasury Department will make those loans, and then there's another $32 billion connected with that. I'm more focused today on the remaining funding in Title IV, which is about. billion, and this is allocated to loans and loan guarantees and other investments established by the Federal Reserve Board, or the Fed, under its authority found in Section 13.3 of the Federal Reserve Act. And this money is to be used to provide liquidity to the financial system and to give support lending to eligible businesses, states, and other localities. Um, That's basically where we're at right
0: now with at least Title IV of the CARES Act. Understood. Can you take a moment then and dig a little bit deeper and tell us what you think or what you feel is the most significant development or developments related to to this legislation?
1: Sure. Um, As you said, these are five fast facts. Well, the first one is as I just mentioned, was the Fed facilities at 454 billion dollars to make uh, to provide loans or facilities? Um, it's not the first time the Fed's ever used facilities. Um, they actually have had the power since the 1930s and the Great Depression. They really were used during the economic crisis in 20, 2007, 2008, 9 as well to provide liquidity at the time when the financial markets were melting down. Um, the Fed actually started using its powers under the Federal Reserve Act you know, a couple of weeks before the uh, CARES Act was enacted. Um, you, know, you had the Dow Jones, I think, lost 13% of, per, percent of its value um, mid-March, and this was even after the Fed lowered the discount rate to near zero. And the Fed started putting out various um, facilities or programs, and basically, what happens is the Fed will buy up financial instruments, be it commercial paper, money mutual funds, money market, money market mutual funds, corporate bonds, short-term notes, you know, from various state and local governments, and then and this in turn allows banks because they're selling it or the Fed's buying it from the banks to provide them more liquidity to provide more credit to various components of the, or sectors of the economy. Um, One part of the CARES Act uh, gives the Fed discretion to establish what's called a Main Street Lending Program. Uh, And then just last week, the Fed exercised that discretion and established Two, 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 uh, facilities, one called the Main Street Expanded Loan Facility and the Main Street New Loan Facility. And again, these are to facilitate lending to small, medium-sized businesses, um, up to 10,000 employees, or uh, the revenue um, limit was $2.5 billion as of in 19, 2019 annual revenue. Um, these two um, facilities uh, cost about $600 billion. And this was just part of a bigger push that the Fed did that day, um, which was up to $2.3 trillion of loans. Uh, they expanded the various uh, facilities they created up to that point from mid-March till that day. And pretty much it was a response to what was coming out that morning where I think it was what 6.6 million uh, jobless claims at that point that t- at that time. So, and you know, they they were waiting to to do this to try to keep the economy going. So, um, and also at the time, they also created another facility, the Paycheck Protection Program, the PPP facility, and that's again to buy up the loans that banks gave up gave as part of the Payroll Protection Program, which is another part of the CARES Act. And this was uh, the program that's run by the Treasury Department and the SBA basically allowing companies to apply for SBA loans to make payroll, basically. And as of this morning, I saw in the newspapers, the different news things coming off to my email that it's running out of money. And that had billion. So it's a lot of money going out very quickly, which brings me to my second point. We have a lot of money going out. You need oversight. And there are some oversight provisions in the CARES Act. Um, And there are a couple of ways. One is there's the creation of what's called a a special inspector general for pandemic relief, or SIGPRO, we'll call it. Um, they like calling things SIGs. I mean, there's uh, SIGR, which is Iraqi Reconstruction. This one, though, will look at all the programs that the Fed and the Treasury establishes under Title IV, and they'll do reports and investigations, to make sure all everything is going as up and up. And this SIGPR is similar to what's called SIGTARP, Again, another special investigator. That one was for the Troubled Assets Relief Program that was created as part of the um, rescue, the economic rescue during the financial crisis in 07, 08, 09. Um, but basically, that's where some of the similarities end. Um, the SIGPR in the CARES Act is only going to sunset at the end of March of 2025. As opposed to SIGTARP, its existence will be going on until the last of the TARP money is uh, gained back from the government. And remember, SIGTARP was created 12 years ago almost, well, 11 and a half years ago, late 2008. So that's one area of um, oversight. And already there was the president nominated a Brian Miller to be the SIGPR and he currently serves as an special assistant to the president and is senior associate counsel in the office of the White House counsel. Second component of oversight under Title IV is the Congressional Oversight Commission and it's a panel of five people um, and it's the members of House and Senate leadership Name for the members, and I think Speaker of House names these. I think Speaker House names one member as well. Um, again, this is they'll do oversight, uh, congressional panel as opposed to an executive oversight type of body, so they could have hearings. It's sort of modeled after a congressional. Oh, the, Modeled after the Congressional Oversight Panel, again that was created during the economic crisis, and again that looked at what went wrong there and how it could be improved. And when that was originally created, now Senator Elizabeth Warren, I think, have virtually chaired that commission as well. As of now, only one person's been named to that, and that was by Chuck, Chuck Schumer named a uh, Barrat. Raman Ramanruthi. Sorry if I butchered that poor man's name. Anyway, so oversight—that's the two components, at least, of the CARES Act. They go hand in hand: the amount of money and the oversight to make sure it's being spent properly. The next area of um, to be looked at are some relief to banks or financial institutions, and these are pro- these are more temporary. Exemptions from various um, statutory requirements. let just name a few of them. One is lending limits for national banks. Um, They're only allowed to to give, you know, lend so much to a certain types to a single borrower relative to the bank's capital and other balance sheet characteristics. Uh, But there are some exceptions. Unfortunately, those exceptions under federal law are rarely relatively narrow. And the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency who supervises national banks, again, very narrow um, authority to exempt loans. Um, the CARES Act gives the OCC a little bit broader authority to exempt loans when it's in what's called the public interest. Uh, this is, again, this is temporary. It lasts until either the covid Nineteen public health emergency ends or at the end of 2020. So that's one area of of relief. Another area of uh, regulatory statutory relief deals with uh, community banks. Uh, About two years ago, there was legislation passed that allowed community banks, basically banks under 10 billion dollars in assets, to hold a certain amount of capital, and they'd be considered. They'd be considered in compliance with the various banking agencies um, uh, regulatory capital requirements. Well, the CARES Act um, lowers that percentage from 9% of capital to 8% and required the Fed, the OCC, and the third banking agency, the Federal Deposit Insurance Agency, to issue an interim rule basically lowering that rate That percentage from nine to eight percent. The three agencies did that just recently. I think a few days after the CARES Act was enacted, they issued two rules. One lowered the what's called the CBLR community bank leverage ratio, and the other one, another rule, uh, provides a gradual transition to build it back up to 9% after a certain period of time. Another area of regulatory relief for banks, and this is, again, this is to allow them to provide more liquidity or give them more liquidity and allow them to lend more to the economy, to, to worthy borrowers. So this other area deals with an accounting principle that was put out by the Financial Accounting Standards Board, and it deals with um, 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 calculating credit losses for various instruments, and it's called the Current Expected Credit Losses, or the CECL. And this has been, um, I wouldn't say a bane of existence for banks, but it's very difficult for them to probably uh implement it especially at this time and there was always calls in congress since the adoption of this by by FASB to delay the comply, delay its effectiveness and basically what happens now is there is a slight delay it gives the um various financial institutions banks even credit unions the option to delay this implementation of this CECL. Um, the CECL. The banking agencies actually, the day of the enactment of the CARES Act issued an interim rule also um, uh, final delaying the implementation. And shortly thereafter, they came out with a, what's called a, a joint statement basically saying, well, this is how our interim rule interact with the CARES Act temporary relief. And basically, a bank can use the temporary relief until the end of 2020, and then they can use the um, relief provided in the interim final rule that the agencies put out. Um, Even though most of the... um, Most of the relief was to banks. There's also some consumer protection um, provisions in the CARES Act. So that's my next development. Um, One of the areas deals with, excuse me, um, Fair Credit Reporting Act. Um, During the time of the pandemic emergency or during the pandemic emergency, if a consumer um, well, actually, the, the amendment to the Fair Credit Reporting Act will require data furnishers such as banks and credit card companies that uh, process financial information to report to credit bureaus that consumers are current on their current, current obligations. They enter into an agreement to defer, forbear, or modify you know, a, a credit obligation. So basically, you're not going to be—you know—consumer won't be dinged on their credit report because they entered into a forbearance on a mortgage, for instance. Um, the Consumer Financial Protection Agency, which oversees the implementation of the Fair Credit Reporting Act, also put out some guidance, basically saying, um, you know, encourages credit reporters to work before Continue to file furnish information, despite the current crisis. And, you know, the CS, the CFPB expects furnishers to comply with the CARES Act, and will work with furnishers as needed to help comply. So, that's one area. One area that deals with consumer protection. The other is dealing with um, forbearances and moratoriums on evictions and foreclosures um forbearance basically you're um allowed to hold back or not have to pay on a on an obligation uh the cares act could be it gives you 180 days and can be extended for another 180 days um and servicers need to notify borrowers of the right to request forbearance um <clears throat> excuse me uh the moratorium on foreclosures was actually sort of already codifies action taken by a uh, federal housing finance agency. They over, That agency oversees the two um, what are called GSEs, government-sponsored agent enterprises, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, that there will be a, a um, 60-day for, um, suspension of foreclosures and evictions due to the to the National Emergency and HUD, Department of Housing and Urban Development, um, also authorized the Fair Housing Administration to implement an immediate foreclosure and eviction uh, to halt immediate foreclosure and eviction, put basically a 60 day moratorium on that as well. So we're a, almost a month in, into those government agency imposed types of moratoriums. So
0: that's
1: a the development's under the CARES Act. My fifth one actually was not part of the CARES Act, but something that's probably more crucial once the programs are up and running and money keeps falling out and you have something like SIGPR investigating how the monies are being used, and that's risk management. And, you know, financial institutions as well as their in in-house and outside counsel are going to have to survey the risk landscape for liability issues. I mean, a lawyer is always looking, you know, trying to mitigate these types of of risks. So actually, I found a very interesting uh, client memo by the law firm, Davis Pult, about a couple of days ago, and it mentioned that, you know, some of these bigger financial companies will have targets on their backs and it makes good optics politically in a way so you know this memo says that large institutions and I'm quoting large institutions you know that will be pressured to deliver enormous sums of money quickly to struggling businesses and individuals um they're going to be finding you know regulations are ambiguous or incomplete and always being changed in in some way or another as, you know, the program's being ramped up and then being refined. So, you know, more or less what's going to happen is these companies that are taking part in these various CARES Act programs are going to have to be mindful of the risks involved and, you know, just basically, um, Know that even, you know, we're in an election year that things can change come November and who knows what's going to happen then. So, but, so again, they have to be cognizant of that some of these bigger companies may have targets on their backs just because they have the finance, you know, the financial resources and everybody, you know take down the big business. You know, Some people in certain political quarters like seeing that. Um, one other thing out of that memo that I found interesting was that most of these companies though, if they do participate in the CARES program, they have probably, enough, they already have existing internal controls and compliance programs that will help minimize the, the risks, but still with the speed that these pro- CARES programs are being implemented, you know, there still need to have, uh, as uh, as it was quoted or stated in the memo, a careful conservative posture um, dealing with these programs. So those are my five areas that I think are of interest
0: out of the Title IV of the CARES Act. So John, there, there's clearly quite a bit to consider and unpack here, and your depth of knowledge on this legislation is very much appreciated. Stepping away though from the sheer magnitude of it all for a moment, can you tell us what you find to be most unique or unusual about this situation?
1: Well, even though we just said it was the sheer magnitude, again, I, that's what I think it was just the sheer magnitude of this of the program itself. I mean, um, you know, you've got just out of this this the CARES Act it was two trillion dollars the set. Pumped in another 2.3 trillion dollars um, last week. You know, there's talk of another a CARES to Act um, if Congress could ever come meeting of the minds. I mean, they can't even decide to give more money to the PPP that just ran out of money. But you know, there's reports that whatever legislation is coming up next, that's another two trillion dollars. So you're talking six trillion dollars to just to address this so far and that's just you
0: know
1: n- you know not even halfway through the year and we don't even know you know you know what's happening from day to day more or less and just to put that in put that in perspective the financial the money allocated to address the financial crisis in 2007 through 2009 that was only 700 billion dollars this is eight times as much so far so who knows
0: how much more is going to be needed? So right. that's so just what strikes like, me the most. Sure, sure. It sounds like really then that the next decision point uh, is related to the, the PPP, if I'm not, if I'm hearing you correctly. Is that fair? Yes, yes, yes. I mean,
1: as I said, I mean, and apparently Congress, you know, there's difference of opinion between the House and the Senate. So that's why it's hung up. All
0: right. Longer term, though, what does the future hold, in your opinion? Where do you think we land here over time?
1: Oh, one, just, you know, just as being a consumer myself, it's like, when can you go out and will it be safe to go out? That's just my, I think everybody's like that. When can you go back to this or that? feel safe about it but from a banking and regulatory perspective i mean everything that the agencies have done um all these regulatory amendments and a lot of it's dealing with capital address all these um various fed facilities they've lowered or they've adjusted how capital is determined will there be a push to keep these permanent these changes, or we'll go back to what they were before the national emergency was um, put in place. So that's one thing. And even even before the national emergency was was uh, declared, I mean, there were some industry groups that were pushing, you know, the Fed to do certain uh, types of things that have occurred. You know, lowering um, a reserve the reserve rate for banks, how much money they hold in their vaults for instance um or you know the various uh, capital components so you know will that come back or will there be now another call for more regulatory relief i mean there was a rollback since the trump administration came into came into office a rollback of dodd frank's the various provisions so I mean, will that continue, but under the guise of, well, we need this to get to ramp up the economy again. So that's pretty much what I see at least longer term
0: uh, going forward, longer term. Got it, got it. John Pachkowski, thank you so much for your time here today. Uh, for those of you listening, if you'd like to receive more information related to COVID-19, please visit our free open web resource waltersclurelrcom forward slash COVID-19. And for more detailed analysis of the financial services industry, you can request a free trial to Banking and Finance Law Daily. Thanks again for listening. And thank you again, John. All right. Thank you.